Welcome to worship at Reveille United Methodist Church. We are so glad to have all of you who are here in our sanctuary today, as well as those of you who are joining us online today. My name is Kelly Lane, and I'm one of the ministers here. Today, our lead pastor, the Reverend Dr. Peter Moon, will be preaching. He is going to preach on faith and work and how we live out our faith all the days of the week. So it's going to be a great sermon series. Also, you are invited to come back this afternoon. If you look in your bulletin, there are several classes that are taking place. You can join any of those classes. We welcome you to those. The Lord be with you. Let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship.
in our call to worship. O oh God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. And sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let us sing for joy using the opening hymn number 152, I Sing the Almighty Power of God. Knowing that we are eternally forgiven and infinitely loved, let us confess our sins before God and one another. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we confess our sin before you. We have failed to connect Sunday to Monday. We worship you here, but overlook you in our workplace, school, or weekly routine. Forgive us for placing you in a box. Forgive us for overlooking the many opportunities to shine your light 
in the workplace and beyond. As we worship now, draw out our salt and light, that it might shine even tomorrow morning. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hear the good news. God forgives our sins. We are pardoned. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. As those who have been forgiven and reconciled to God and neighbor, let us exchange signs of Christ's peace with those around us.
children will please come up to praise his holy name. Wasn't that great? I just had to clap and sway. It was awesome. Okay, how is everyone today? Good. All right, let me ask you and be honest. If you have put away all of your Christmas decorations, raise your hand. Not all of them. Okay. If you have helped mom and dad or grandma and granddad put away decorations, raise your hand. That counts. You did, Samuel? Okay, good. Mr. Johnny and I just finished ours yesterday, I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm having a hard time letting go of one decoration, one thing, because it reminds me of my favorite, one of my, one of my favorite Christmas movies. And I've got a clue for you. Hold your thought and raise your hand if you think you might know. Hold on, let me get the clue out. Okay, that's the clue. That's a clue for my favorite Christmas movie, and I really am sad when I have to put this up. Felicity, what movie? Elf, what would make you think that? <laughs> because why? I'm wearing an elf hat, and I have elf ears, right. Now, does any, has anybody seen Elf with Buddy the Elf? I love the character. I love the character of Buddy the Elf because... He is so pure in spirit. He loves everyone. He loves Christmas. And he gets so excited when, when certain things happen. But I like the movie so much because of one scene. He works in a department store where all of these toys are and decorations. And one day his manager says, get ready. Tomorrow Santa is coming. Does anybody remember what Buddy the Elf does? Gwyneth, what does he do? Does he jump up and down? Does he clap his hands and go crazy? Santa, Santa, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Does anyone remember what he says about Santa? Henry. Well, Santa says that. What does Buddy the Elf say about Santa? Ella. Do you remember what he says? Say that again. OMG, Santa, I know him. I know him. Everybody say, I know him. I know him. And I love that scene because I love to think of the manager saying, Jesus has been born. And that should be all of us jumping up and down saying, Jesus, Jesus, I know him. I know him. Now, we want to live in a way, since we know Jesus, we want to live in a way that makes other people want to know him. So, does that mean we just know him here at church? No. If you make a friend here at church and you see them at school, do you act like you don't know them? Of course not. They're your friend here. 
They're your friend at school. They're your friend at gymnastics. They're your friend at scouts, at piano practice, at soccer practice. And let's, let's see what that looks like. If we are going to reflect how Jesus lived and loved, what would we do? How would we treat a friend and show that we know him at school? If we see someone in the cafeteria with no one to talk to, what could we do? Annabelle. Sit next to her or him. Yes, sit next to her or him and talk to them. If we see someone at recess, maybe they're a new student and they don't know anyone, what could we do? What could we do? Henry, what would you do if you saw? Play with them. Give me a high five. Okay, here's a more serious one. You're on the bus and you see someone being teased. How could you reflect Jesus? You're on the bus. May Louise. Someone's being teased on the bus. What could you do? Yeah, do you want to maybe play after school? Maybe sit with them. Maybe be an upstander for them and say, this is not okay. Remember, no matter where we are, because we know Jesus, we want to make other people want to know him too. We want to live in a way that reflects his love and light so that other people want to know him too. Okay? So, I'm going to say Jesus has been born, and I want you to say, I know him. Ready? Jesus has been born. Do a little better with that. Do like Buddy the Elf with great enthusiasm. Jesus has been born. Okay, to the congregation, we're all going to say Jesus has been born, and you are to say, I know him. Are you ready? Let's all say, Jesus has been born. That is fantastic. Let's say our prayer. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Help remind us to live his light and love wherever we are. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week. Join me in praying the prayer for illumination found inside your bulletin. Gracious God, as we turn to your word, may your spirit rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Today's first lesson is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2 verses 15 through 20a, which can be found on page 2 in your pew Bible. This passage comes from the second of the Bible's two creation stories. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat freely of every tree in the garden, but the tree of 
of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that, ma- that the man should be alone, so I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the air and to every animal in the field. The word of God for the people of God. Our second reading for the morning comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians, reading in the fourth chapter, verses 9 through 12. Will you listen once again for the word of God? Now concerning love of the brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anyone write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, beloved, to do so more and more, to aspire, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we directed you, so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and be dependent upon no one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as your word is offered and proclaimed this day, it is our prayer that your spirit would shine down upon us. Open our hearts, open our minds, enable us to understand the power of your grace, love, and word, not only this day, but also in the days to come through the week. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, this week I have begun a new book. It was written a number of years ago. It's, uh, it's by historian Stephen Ambrose, and it's entitled Nothing Like It in the World. Maybe some of you have read that, but it's a fascinating history of the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. Back in the 1860s, Lincoln was president. The Civil War was going on. Uh, the nation took on this new venture to build a railroad that would go from basically connect one coast to the others. And the whole book is a story about how hard it was, the challenges, but also how it was transformational for our nation once it was completed. You know, in his book, Work Matters, Tom Nelson likens the challenge of building that national connection, uh, connecting one side to the other, to the challenges you and I face when we're called to take the faith that we learn in this place on Sunday morning and put it to bring it to bear upon our lives throughout the week. Particularly, he talks about the challenge of taking this faith that we talk about right now and bringing it to bear on Monday morning in the workplace. You know, this week I asked you to send me some emails about what life was like for you at work, what, how you lived out your faith in the workplace, and. Um, I was fascinated because three of those emails came from teachers and educators who not only named the challenges, 
uh, bringing that light to bear, but also the uh, priority and importance of living that light in our school systems uh, in this particular day and age. A couple of you named the challenges of living that light right now, particularly uh, given the circumstances of what occurred uh, in Newport News a week and a half ago as a young uh, six-year-old boy shot his teacher. And how discouraging that was to teachers, but how it highlights the need to encourage them and shine the light in our school systems today. And as a reminder, we're going to spend these couple of weeks looking at how you and I are salt, how we are light on the other six days. And this series is based upon a recent survey. It was done in 2018 by George Barna. He took a look on how you and I spend our time and what's the average amount of hours or minutes that we spend on each thing throughout the day. So if you look at the statistics, the number one thing where we, place where we spend our time is sleep. Sleep and self-care. 9.6 hours a day. The average person in America devotes to sleep and to self-care. And that's really not surprising. But you know what the second uh, highest place where we spend daily time where it is? Sports and leisure. We're going to say more about that next week. But we spend 5.6 hours a day on average in sports and leadership activities. And then when you extend it to the entire work work week over students, retired, and full-time workers, the average person today in America spends 3.5 hours a day in work or work-related activities. Now, when you extend it to those who work full-time during the week, that's uh, closer to 7.6 hours a day. But there's a whole lot of time given to the workplace. Just as a footnote, uh, I'll let you know that uh, one of the places that literally came in last on the time spent uh, during the work week was church, religious organizations, civic activities, bringing, home, bringing it home at a whopping 12 minutes a day. That's a whole other sermon. We'll get that at another time. Well, we're gonna, like I said, we're going to talk about leisure, how we spend our leisure time, how that can be used for the kingdom uh, next week. But today, let's address that place where during our week, where most of us spend most of the time, in the workplace or in school. And how do I do it? How do I extend my faith, my discipleship, my light, my salt into that place, into my school life, into my workplace? To use the words uh, that we quoted last week and the definition of discipleship, how do I live my life at work or school? The way Jesus would live my life at work or school, if Jesus had my life to live. I think it's helpful to enter into a, a sort of big picture understanding of the role of work in the scriptures because the Bible understands the central nature of our vocational life. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter, carpenter for 30 years, an itinerant preacher for three. Paul was a tent maker, Luke was a physician, Matthew was a finance guy, Cornelius was a soldier, and Lydia was a businesswoman. And you see, the reading we had from Genesis gets us started to think about our work. 
and it reminds us that work is a good thing given to us by God with a reminder that you and I are not created just to be. We're created, it says, in the image of God. And that means that there is something innate within us, within every human being, to create, to multiply our efforts, to leave a legacy. You see, work, when it's at its best, fulfills many of those image-bearing characteristics. When I was in the military, we had that sort of long, extended season of training where they, they taught us how to survive in the event we were ever captured and were a prisoner of war in a camp. A whole lot of lessons with all that, but one of the premier ones was if you're imprisoned, always work when you can. Take a job, work when, you can, when it's available because it can give you a sense of purpose in a season of meaninglessness that can endure, help you endure and make your way through. The point is that work uh, is a gift given by God, but, keep reading the next chapter, work is also a curse, right? Here's those words in Genesis 3 after the fall of Adam and Eve. God says, and I quote, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil... You will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So there's kind of a back-to-reality Bible verse. Yes, work is a gift, but sometimes, we all know this, work is just not that great. And you don't have to go any farther than country songs to know that, right? What about Johnny Paycheck, where he tells us what we can do with that job, right? What about Dolly Parton? She reminds us about the challenges of working nine to five. You can go to the Beatles, a hard day's night. The list goes on and on, but you get the point. What the Bible says makes sense. Work is a blessing, but work is also a curse. And so into this iconic mix of blessing and curse, you and I walk into our workplace and To use the words of Ezekiel, how then shall we live? And I think we can step into this strange, iconic mix of waters. Using the words we just heard from Paul in 1 Thessalonians. You know what's interesting about that text? When he doesn't send us hard charging into the workplace to conquer for the kingdom. Instead, he invites us to embrace a quieter image. He says, and I quote, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. I think that's the beginning place of salt and light in the workplace or in the, in the school. Somehow you and I live a life that wins, I quote, the respect of our fellow workers, of our fellow students. And implicit in that is a reminder of what we said last week. Salt often means that we, as the salt of the earth, make people thirsty. I read a Barna survey this week that sampled what it's like and what our priorities are as believers, Christians, disciples in the workplace. Named all the priorities in a survey done in 2018. 
And few, if any, or few disciples, I should say, see their role as getting into the workplace and sharing the gospel. Instead, the top responses were, in order, acting ethically, speaking the truth, demonstrating morality, and making friends with non-Christians. And the point is that many of us get this verse, and in fact, many of us, if not most of us, are in line with this verse, that perhaps we enter in our, with our faith into these places in a more quiet way, a more subtle way, where we win, to quote Paul, win the respect of others. And maybe what we're seeking to do, actually, is when we enter into the workplace, when we enter into school, or whatever community we are in, we're trying to live with the words of Paul in Galatians 5, by the fruit of the Spirit. Those nine things. But the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, this week I was channel surfing just briefly, and I'm always nervous about getting involved in those big mega series, you know, five seasons, a gazillion shows, because it just can consume you for hours. But I ran into a series that only had one season and six episodes, so I was interested. And it's, it's called The Rig. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Amazon Prime, I think. But it's a story of some hardcore, um, hard-charging oil rig workers on a rig in the um, North Atlantic Sea, in the North Sea. And they're in the midst of this mysterious, invading presence. It's sort of like stranger things on an oil rig, right? And I wasn't bad, but, uh, but I li- and I liked it because it was just a couple episodes, but I was intrigued because they develop each of the characters on the rig. And one of them is a woman who's a Christian. And she is in the midst of all this tension and, and conflict, but she's gentle and she's kind and she's compassionate and she's empathetic and has this powerful witness in all the midst of the ups and downs of all of it. Kind of like Paul said in this word. I was also intrigued to read this week uh, in Christianity Today, this month's uh, magazine, uh, theology professor Richard Lentz. He's a professor of theology at Gordon-Conwell. And he offered this timely reminder for all of us about how it is we actually make a difference, how it is we change the world. He, He said that our culture has sponsored and encouraged the image of what he calls the hero or the heroine. The one who, I quote, who is known for self-assertion in the face of great odds. That's sort of the, the embodiment of our culture. How we change it, we, we follow the way of a hero or a heroine. But he reminds us that our model is not like that. Our model is instead a sacrificial servant. One who has healed us and one who heals the world by sacrifice, by self-denial, and by serving the other. And that addresses uh, perhaps the question of how shall we live. Yeah, we live by the fruit of the Spirit and the model of a sacrificial servant who helps others but who's, and who serves others. And that happens in our actions. And it also happens in the way we work. And that entails having a solid work ethic. Certainly we can overdo it, and we're going to talk more about that next week. But we work hard in the workplace because our ethic is a part of our witness. A lazy worker who avoids responsibility 
is a poor witness for Jesus and one whom other workers will likely not respect. And it also happens, not just through our actions, but also with our words. I mean, think about it in school or in your community, but particularly in the workplace, how many conversations you have with others. Some of those are work-related. A lot of them are not. And I love what Paul said in the book of Colossians about those conversations. He said, and I quote, Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Isn't that a great line? Let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. You know, over the years, I have often reminded church staff of this image, but I think it applies to all of us when we are in school or in the workplace or no matter where we are. Because every single one of us have been a part of those conversations, those sidebar conversations that have a tendency to go south pretty quickly because that conversation starts to resemble like a reality show as the drama fills the words. But I remind folks that as disciples, we can often take on a role in that conversation. We can be what I call drama drainers, right? I mean, because you have a choice when you enter into that conversation. Uh, drama in, in these places, it's like a, it, it can fill a tub. And we, can add, we have a choice. We can add words that make the drama fill even more or... We can think about our phrase, our words, our love, our grace. And there's sometimes we can just pull the plug on that tub and drain the drama. And it makes a difference. Because sometimes those words are just words and gossip. But other times, as we have seen, particularly on this Martin Luther King weekend, sometimes those conversations can go south quickly and turn into action. Some perhaps... You and I, with a key word or phrase or act of love, can stop that southbound spiral. And it may be as simple as saying, you know what, that's not my experience with her. Or maybe, perhaps there's a story underneath this. But all this also offers uh, an opportunity for clarification. Because it's true that we can drain drama with a grace-filled word, born of the fruit of the Spirit. But it's also important to remember that we are the salt of the earth, not honey dripping over Disneyland, right? Because salt, salt is salty. Light does shine upon darkness. And sometimes the saltiness will not be received well, but that is okay because the same thing happened to Jesus. And yet he served, and yet he loved, and yet he offered himself so that we could be transformed. Remember, sometimes a salty word with grace can stop that downward spiral. And so, friends, as you enter into the workplace this week, as you go back to school this week, as you enter into your retirement community and network this week, don't forget who you are. Now, this is not the Transcontinental Railroad, but it's still a very difficult connection to make from where we are right here in worship to the realities of the world in the workplace and beyond. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And our job is to make people thirsty, to live the fruit of the Spirit, to have conversations 
that are full of grace, seasoned with salt. And when we do that, we're following the pattern of our Lord, who by love and servanthood has changed, is changing, and will continue to change the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh, gracious God, we thank you for this day. And we come to you this day with many needs and concerns in our lives and in our world. We pray this day for anyone who is suffering or sick in any way, in mind, body, or spirit. We pray for healing and for strength. We pray this day for anyone who is grieving a death or a loss in their life. And especially we pray for Ann Porch and her family after the death of her brother. For Jack Grace and his family after the death of his mother. We pray for comfort and for peace. We pray this day, O oh God, for all who are dealing with natural disasters this day, and especially remember those in California dealing with floods, for those in the southeast who are dealing with the after effects of tornadoes, and for all around the world dealing with natural disasters. Be a very present help and strength. For them, O Lord. We pray this day, O Lord, for all those who are dealing with war and conflict and unrest in so many countries around this world. And especially we pray for the people of Ukraine. Be a very present help and strength for them. 
We remember this day, O Lord, and celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr. this weekend. And we pray for justice wherever there is injustice in the world around us. We pray for light to shine in the midst of darkness. And we pray for your love to be wherever there is hate. For we know that only light can overcome darkness and only love can overcome hate. We give you thanks this day, O Lord, for our church. We give you thanks for our partnership with our churches in Swansboro, Koinonia Christian Church, and Love Center of Unity. We pray that you would bless all of our ministries, and we pray that you would continue to help our relationship with our partner churches continue to grow and to deepen. We give you thanks this day, O Lord, for the work that we have and also for the leisure that we have. And we pray, O Lord, that in our workplaces and not just on Sunday but throughout the week, may we be a people in word and in deed, that we may be joyful and loving and gentle and kind in all that we say and in all that we do. Help us to be gracious in our words and in our deeds. Hear our prayer this day, O God, and now in the silence of our hearts we lift up to you any personal concerns that we may have. Hear our prayers this day, O God, and we thank you that you are not just a God of Sunday, but you are a God of all the days of the week. You are not just with us on Sunday, but you are with us all the days of our week, and we thank you and praise you and glorify you this day. Bless us and keep us, and we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now I'd like to invite our ushers to come forward as we return to God now, our tithes and our offerings.
At all three of our services this morning, we've asked the congregation to join in singing the song, I'm going to live so God can use me, as a reminder that God can use our lives and indeed our work. So we invite you to turn in the faith we sing to number 2153 and join the choir in singing this. Uh, the choir and I will sing the first verse uh, by ourselves and then invite you to join in singing all four verses that you see there.
Let us pray. We thank you and praise you and glorify you always, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you and praise you for all of our many gifts and blessings. Help us to live so that you can use us anywhere and anytime. And as we return these gifts back to you, we pray that you would use these gifts anywhere and anytime so that your kingdom would come on earth. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we go forth into the world now, I invite you to join me for our final hymn, number 438. Go forth in thy name, O Lord. As you go forth now, go and offer your daily labor to the Lord and be kind and gentle and gracious and caring in all that you say and do. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you forevermore as we go in peace and as all God's people say, Amen.